You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. You got to love the view from up here. There's something about being in a tall building overlooking a city and everything just is more beautiful from up here. From up here, you don't notice the trash. You can't see the rundown buildings and the broken windows. And from up here, things smell good, right? Like you don't get the same stench that can sometimes knock you over when you're down there. From up here, there's not much noise. There's not the kind of noise that just comes when you're too close to too many people. From up here, there's no one um, to hit you up for a few bucks. There's no one to honk at you because you're going too slow. And so from up here, you don't have to think about, well, all the people and all of their problems down there. Up here, things are comfortable. Down there, things are crowded. Up here, things are peaceful. Down there, they're stressful. Up here, uh, you can relax. Down there, you're more on edge. Up here, you can do things your way, but down there, other people get in your way. Up here, things are clean. Down there, things are messy. And it seems to me that most people spend their lives trying to get up here. And people who are down there look up here and wonder what life would be like. It certainly seems easier up here than down there. And I think a lot of us who want to make a difference with our lives, we live with this tension. We want to make a difference in the world. We want to make a difference in the city, but we want to do it from up here. I guess what I would say is that impacting people one at a time, it's pretty hard to do from up here. It happens down there. It happens in the streets. So I think for a lot of us, we can be like the person who um, who loves to read novels but doesn't really have their own story to tell or loves to watch action movies but has never really felt the adrenaline of our own adventure loves to look at maps but rarely gets out of the house and never really leaves town and as we study the stories of life change that are recorded in the gospels i don't know about you but there's something in me that comes alive where i want to have those stories to tell i want to have that kind of impact i i want to make that kind of difference out there There's a phrase that should be a pretty good clue to us about how it happens. It's a phrase that shows up in the Gospels, or at least some variation of it shows up a number of times. Um, The phrase is, along the way. And what you'll notice is that so many of the one-at-a-time stories that happen in Scripture happen along the way, right? Like Jesus is on the way somewhere when he meets someone. Um, Might even seem like an interruption. That it's someone who has a question or someone who has a need, someone who's confused or someone who's hurting. And I would just say most of the time, one at a time stories begin along the way when you get out of the house, when you get out of the office. And if you just stopped spending so much time up here and spent more time down there, you might be surprised at the one at a time opportunities that come your way. That one at a time video clip comes from the Kyle Adamans series we're using in our small groups right now. 
And I love that because it just shows how Jesus is changing this world one at a time, one person at a time, that Jesus did not stay up there. He came down here. He didn't stay in the comfortable. He came into the chaotic. Jesus stepped into the mess. He came into the mire. He came into the muck. Jesus, God, God, divine, became fully human, became a man. That The incarnation of Jesus, showing how he loves people to come in such close proximity, that he would give up all the rights of heaven to come here to be with us, to relate to us, to love us. Even as the Bible would say, to go the extra mile, which seems woefully inadequate to talk about what Jesus did for us. To think going from God to humanity, God putting on flesh, it seems woefully inadequate to say, well, he went the extra mile. But that's what Jesus calls us to is to go the extra mile, is to love people in that way, and he does. And what's so sad to me today is there will be millions and millions and millions of people who will be watching the Super Bowl today, and for many of them, the majority of them, they won't see Jesus in this light. They don't know this about Jesus. They don't understand the depths that he went to love us, to care for us, to show his affection for us, to die for us, to give us eternal life. They don't know that. They have no idea. In fact, their perception of Jesus and of the people that follow Jesus, those that call themselves Christians, it's very different than the reality of Jesus. Because when I think of Christians, I I think of people who are compassionate and loving and generous and the list goes on. When I think of you, that's how I think of many of you, most of you, I think of you in this light. But that's not how our culture views us. When you ask the culture... Their perspective or perception of Christians, it's words like this, hypocritical, judgmental, self-righteous. We're not perceived in the way that we would want to portray Jesus, who he actually is. Why is this? It's because somehow, somewhere along the way, we have not loved the way Jesus loved. Somewhere along the way, we don't look like Jesus looked. We don't walk like he walked. We're not talking like he talked or doing what he did. And because of that, it needs to change. Today, when you're watching the Super Bowl, and many of you will be, because like Andy Reid would say, how about those Chiefs? Yes, that's who we're going to be rooting for today, overwhelmingly, uh, except for Heath Wilson. But everyone else in this, well, maybe a few more. But we're going to be rooting for the Chiefs today. And one of the things you're going to notice as you watch these ads and these commercials, there's, there's this commercial that's been playing for some time called He Gets Us. How many of you have seen that? The commercials, He Gets Us. So some of you across the room. And they've been playing since about the spring of 2022. In fact, have had 6.2 billion impressions, whether it's on social media, YouTube, uh, it, it's connections to people or these commercials that they're showing during football games. Uh, there is an effort right now among a Christian group that's trying to change the culture's perceptions just of Jesus, who he is, what he's about. And so since the spring, they've been doing these ads with the goal that they want them to see the real Jesus who loves his people, who is compassionate, who would go to great lengths, who understands us, who became human. <laughs> so many people, are, they don't understand God put on flesh. He came here. He gets us. He knows what it was like to be betrayed or to be lonely. And my understanding is that that this ad today is going to be about how he loved his enemies. We're to love our enemies, which is actually the text that we're in today. 
And I thought it was pretty appropriate. I'm looking forward to the app because I'm, I do hope that commercials like this give you an opportunity when you're at work and you're around the coffee pot or you're at lunch or you're visiting with someone where you can say, what do you think of that ad? And you can actually have a conversation. You can talk about it. But here's what we know. An ad in and of itself is not going to change someone's whole perspective of who Jesus is. It's going to be you and how you love them and how you interact with them. And it's going to be your actions that are going to make the biggest impact. And I want us just to look at a text today. If you have a Bible or a device, you can open up to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at a text from what was the Sermon on the Mount. And then I'm going to refer to Luke chapter 6 very briefly, just two verses That was a different sermon. It was called the Sermon on the Plain. (laughs) But both emphasizing the same thing. How we are to love people. And if we would do this the way Jesus has called us to do it, it would change how this world sees Jesus and it would change how this world sees you. And Jesus is just going to show us, how do you respond when you're offended? How do you, you respond when you're insulted? How do you respond when you're mistreated or wronged as he was? And here's what Jesus said. Let's read it together. It's in Matthew 5, 38 to 48. And would you just stand to your feet for the reading of God's word as we read this together? Let's just stand to our feet. Let's hear from the Lord right now. Let's have hearts ready to listen and to hear what Jesus has to say. These are his words. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Luke chapter 6, I'm going to read two verses that sum this all up. It was a different sermon. It was called the Sermon on the Plain. But these two verses to me sum up everything we just read. And here's what Jesus said. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand what you're saying to us today. I really do believe this is probably the most difficult, challenging thing for us to do. So in the strength you provide and in the understanding you give, we take this to heart. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to just sum up what Jesus said there from... In Matthew chapter 5, using Luke 6, and how he kind of breaks that down into a few overarching categories. But when it comes to the perception the world ought to have of us, it ought to be this. It shouldn't be judgmental and hypocritical and self-righteous. These aren't the words that should be how the world views us. It should be things like this. Here's what Jesus said. 
Love when hated. Love when hated. Undergirding every response that you give, every reaction that you have, especially to those who mistreat you, those who insult you, do not insult. Those who curse you, do not curse. No, don't react with them emotionally with the reaction you want to have at the time. Instead, would you love those who hate you? What would it look like if you did that? What kind of impact would it have on our world if you actually did that? That today, when you're driving home from this service, and you see someone with those green flags on their car, that have a little eagle on it, and you make eye contact, and you're struggling to smile. You, your eyes meet, there's no smile. What would it look like if you actually loved your enemy? Love when hated. And then Jesus said this, do good when wronged. Like it's not enough to just refrain from retaliation. We'll get into more of that here in a minute. But he's like, it's not good enough to do nothing. You actually can respond to hate with good. Do good to those who hate you. Do good to those who wrong you. And there's lots of ways that Jesus talks about this in Matthew 5. Like one of them he says is, is turn the other cheek. In the Jewish culture, a slap on the cheek was this incredible insult. And oftentimes in their culture, if you got slapped on the cheek, it turned into a full-on brawl. I mean, that's how it went. Think, think NBA in the 1990s because you watched the Lance Dance, Last Dance documentary or something like that. But he says, what kind of impact would it have if you actually just turned the other cheek? And you're like, well, does that work? <laughs> if you just, if you turn that, does that even work to respond like that? Well, did you watch the Oscars in 2022? Had Chris Rock responded differently to a slap on the cheek? I'm not sure he would have been seen as in favorable of a light, would he? If it just turned into an all-out brawl. Jesus says, turn the other cheek. And then Jesus would say, you know when you're, someone is suing you in a legal case and you have to give your inner garment as collateral, according to their legal laws at the time? What would it look like if, like if you didn't just give your inner garment, but you went ahead and gave your outer garment too? Whoa, that's going above and beyond. What kind of impact might that have in your culture? He says, you know, due to the Roman occupation, you know how right now when a Roman soldier comes up to you by law, they can, they can require you to carry their stuff when they're tired of carrying it for a, a certain amount of distance. And everybody's like, yeah, they, almost, they hated that law almost as much as they hated the Romans. Jesus says, when they require you to do a mile, I think in, in their laws, there must have actually been a, a law that they, they could only go up to a mile with that. When they require you to go to a mile and they get to the end of the mile and they start to collect their stuff again because you did what you are legally, lawfully required to do. And you say, no, that's okay. I can go too. What? Who does that? What kind of impact would that make in your culture? Because the first mile is out of expectation. The second mile that looks like love. What would it look like if we actually applied some and put some feet to what Jesus is saying and actually in our culture today started living the way Jesus has called us to live? He's saying there is a real way. You know, there, there will be arrogant, bossy, entitled, dehumanizing people in your life. And I'm asking you to go the extra mile to love them. Will you do this? Can you do this? That's what love looks like. That's what he is calling us to do. 
And all of these phrases have been very, become very common. Even in our culture, we say things like, go the extra mile. We all know what that means. Turn the other cheek. We know what it means. Lend without demanding something back. We know what it means. These are just examples, illustrations of what it looks like when you love people well. And, and Mark Moore in his commentary, you know, he just says, look, these are illustrations. They're examples. They're not regulations. Like these, these aren't all encompassing every single time you do it exactly like this. He says, in fact, that'd probably be neither advisable nor possible to absolutely apply all of these illustrations or examples that Jesus gives. I mean, the motive to do it would be admirable, but he says the application of a non-retaliation without any kind of reasonable consideration as to what's going on probably neither honors Jesus nor the text. And so some of the examples he would say is, you know, these illustrations Jesus gives, you know, if someone hits you in the cheek, turn the other also. He's like, he's not advocating for Christian submission to torture. Like, he's not saying that if you apply it absolutely in every case. He's not directly addressing pacifism or even just war. He's not doing that. And he's not restricting Christian intervention if someone is attacking someone else or your family. You know, it doesn't mean that, that you can't protect your family or defend your family from an attacker. He's not forbidding any kind of self-defense. That's not what he's saying. And it's, it's, it's not, it doesn't violate retaliation by the state to carry out justice. This is not what he's getting at. So Jesus, when he says these things, he's calling you to not retaliate against people, but to show the love of Christ in, in ways that are countercultural, counterintuitive. That would just blow people's minds to see it happen. And they would have a completely different perspective of Jesus. It's at odds of what our world would say. But you don't, you have to apply wisdom to all these situations. It's like when Jesus says, give to the one who asks of you. Well, even wisdom would say, there are times you don't give something to someone to fuel an addiction or a habit or something that would lead them just to make more bad decisions. We use wisdom in those applications. I mean, sometimes what people really need is not what they're asking for. Think, think James and John and their mother when they wanted to sit at the right and left of Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus doesn't immediately grant that request. But even with all of that context... We should not dilute even for a moment the power behind Jesus' words and what he's saying, that what your love ought to look like, that, that you respond positively when others are negative, generously when others are selfish, with restraint when others are retaliating, that you would bless those who are actually cursing you. I mean, this kind of love from Jesus, you're going, I don't know that I can love like that. And it's true, you can't. Not in your own strength, not in your own power, not like Jesus did. You need the Holy Spirit and his power enabling you to do it. Because it's going to require everything you have and more. And Jesus is saying, if we really are the children of God, then we will reflect his character and his love, and we will love like he loves. It's powerful. So you love when you're hated. You do good when you're wronged. Here's the other thing. Third, you bless when you're cursed. You bless when you're cursed. The word bless can actually mean two things. It can mean kind words, but also it, it can mean... Uh, Generously giving of possessions. So kind words and or possessions. So one way to think of that, it basically means when someone speaks evil against you and they malign your character and they gossip about you and they make fun of you because of your faith, you speak kindly in return and then buy their lunch. You are generous with them. 
You bless, not curse. And you're like, man, is that asking too much? Does that even work? And Proverbs 25 says, if your enemy's hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. When we bless instead of curse, we actually create an opportunity for God and give room for God to work where they actually would come under conviction of their wrongdoing, the the coals on their head, because you're returning it with kindness. And in so doing, maybe you actually give an opportunity by de-escalating the situation, by responding with blessing instead of curses, by giving a kind word. It's so countercultural, so opposite of what people of this world do. They're likely in that moment to feel the weight of their wrongdoing if you reply with kindness, which would not happen if you respond in anger. So bless when cursed. And then Jesus says, pray when mistreated. You pray for two reasons. You're praying for your own heart that you won't be self-righteous and you won't allow a bitter root to grow up inside it. You're praying for your own heart when you experience pain and hurt. But you're also praying for their heart. Their, their heart might soften. They might come to know God through your actions. You, you bless them with your prayers instead of resorting to being vindictive with your prayers. So pray when you're mistreated. And then Jesus would say, and show restraint when attacked. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. What he's speaking about is, is he's speaking against retaliation. Not eye for eye. Don't return evil for evil. Don't keep a record of wrongs. Instead, show a Christ-like love. We struggle with this. When people wound us, we want to wound them. It happens in our friendships, in our relationships. It happens in our marriages. Well, you did this to me. You said this to me. So I'm going to hurt you back. I'll say this to you and we react. It's not the kingdom way. And our first natural inclination is just to respond in a worldly way rather than the Jesus way. And Jesus wants us to love people well. Don't retaliate. Show restraint. It's the opposite of everything in us that wants to react in an ugly angry, I'll show you, you don't disrespect me kind of way. And because we haven't done this well, the world looks at us and says, judgmental, hypocritical, self-righteous. And somehow we missed what was known among the early churches. These people love each other. And they love other people. They will know we're Christians by our love. And some people say, man, when you talk about love so much, you're, you're getting soft. Does this sound soft to you? I mean, I really hope no one who's hearing me right now will ever say that Christ-like love is soft. It's the opposite of soft. None of you has has what it takes to do it. Not a single one of you can love like Jesus loved in your own strength. And you're going to tell me that's being soft? In the power of the Holy Spirit, we need Jesus to empower us to love in the way he loved. And it's going to be hard. But let me say what I'm, let me just interject something I'm not saying. Because anytime we teach or we preach on this text about turning the other cheek and and showing restraint and all this stuff, let's avoid something right now of some misunderstanding. There, There have been occasions when people took this or applied this or somehow understood this where... 
someone who was in a dangerous, abusive situation. And they're like, well, you got to turn the other cheek and just take it, right? That's not what Jesus is saying. So like, even if today you're listening to me and you're in a dangerous situation where you're experiencing some kind of physical abuse or verbal abuse or sexual abuse or some kind of authoritative abuse or someone is in a situation where they, they control most of your daily activities or threaten you. I mean, there are fundamental groups where that's even true of that group or that cult. If you're in a situation like that, that is not what Jesus is talking about when he says, turn the other cheek. In fact, the most loving thing you could do today would be to bring that into the light. That would be the most loving thing you could do. For you to come to someone who's here right now and get some help. And and talk to someone who can be trusted. And to share this with them. That that would be the most loving thing you could do right now. It's not to sit back. That's why there there are resources in our church. And counselors in our church. And people to support you in our church. That's why there's a a victim center right here in Springfield. Because we're we're not talking about abuse and, and continue to live under that abuse. You're not able to love and forgive when the abuse is ongoing in that moment. You need a safe place to do it from. So that's not what we're talking about here. But restraint when attacked does mean that we can love our enemies through non-retaliation. We can love them even through expressions of love and actions that we would not do otherwise. And we're being called to this, to love as completely and maturely as God does, both for our friends and our enemies, which Jesus would say both are our neighbors. Both are our neighbors. And when you start loving people the way Jesus loved, it changes you, it frees you, it empowers you, and it shows people who Jesus really is. And this is difficult. I mean, when you're at school... And you're going through the stuff you have to go through at school or you're at work and you're going through the stuff you have to go through at work or you're with your family and you've got to go through some of the stuff you're going through with your family to love like Jesus loves. It's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit working in you to do that. And when you start loving people that way, you're going to show people who Jesus really is. They will see a kingdom like they've never seen it. They will see a king of like Jesus that they've never seen. They'll, they'll see a love like they've never seen before. And you don't have the capacity for this in and of yourself. But supernaturally you can in the power of Jesus, which we're praying for. And when you do, you will love your enemies well. In fact, Jesus goes on to give an example of this. He talks about what it looks like. It's in Luke chapter 10. When he describes for us what a, a, a loving definition of what it looks like to love your neighbor. And he shows that our love is not passive, it is active, it moves. And Jesus tells a story of a Jewish man. That's what's implied in the story. He's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a dangerous route. Everybody knew it. In fact, that road, that path was called Ab- Adamim, which means the pass of blood. The pass of blood. It was a dangerous route. And this guy falls into the hands of robbers. They beat him. To within an inch of his life, they take everything that he owns, they strip him of his clothes, he's left lying naked in a ditch on the side of the road. And Jesus tells the story. And he tells him that in this story, a priest passes by, but he's got ceremonial duties, he's got to stay clean, he can't be unclean by touching someone on the side of the road, so he passes by. And then a, a, a Levite, he passes by, and he doesn't have pity for the man, there's not this compassion welling up inside him. So he just walks away. And then Jesus says three words that rocked the world of everybody who heard the story. It's in Luke 10, 33. But a Samaritan. But a Samaritan. I mean, just the words Samaritan would make these Jews cringe. They despise them. These, these half-breeds. There was, there was all kinds of prejudice against them. But a Samaritan. 
They didn't even want to say the word. It'd be like you say, but an Eagles fan, mm, just makes you cringe all the way to your bone. But a Samaritan, he was passing by. You would never use Samaritan in a positive way. You'd never make the Samaritan the hero of the story. But Jesus did. But a Samaritan, he took pity on him. And he stopped. And he bandaged this man's wounds. And he put him on his donkey. He took him to an inn and he paid for his stay. And he covered his expenses. Anytime you love the way Jesus would have you love, it's going to have a cost. It's going to take you longer than you planned. It's going to cost more than you expected. It's, it's generally going to be messier than you thought it would be. But what we have here is an expert of the law who's a know-it-all. We got this Levite who's a do-it-all. But only one, a Samaritan, was the only one who, who loved it all. He was the one who loved And Jesus said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, he couldn't even bring himself to say Samaritan. He just said, the man who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. And he's calling you to love people that are hard to love, the mean, messy people. He wants you to go an extra mile with his love. And it's it's going to take time and but that's what God wants from his people. You know, a couple weeks ago when we started this series, Alan Tiger, our college life minister, was preaching. And one of the challenge, challenges he gave us is he said, how about you go a different way than you normally go? Like whatever route you normally go, just kind of go a different way and just see what God provides you. What opportunities does God put in your path? And so Alan uh, preached that sermon. Uh, you all left that week after he was done preaching. Glenn and Cindy Dawson, who are my small group, I hope my small group doesn't actually feel like they're always at risk of being of stories being told about them. It's only the good ones, and it's only occasionally. But Glenn and Cindy Dawson leave church that day. Cindy's driving. Glenn's on his phone. And as they get a couple miles away from the church, uh, Glenn was just kind of looking at his phone, scrolling through some stuff, probably the Sunday afternoon game, seeing what's coming up probably. And, as they're driving, and all of a sudden, Cindy says, do you think that guy in that wheelchair needs help? And Glenn's like, looking around like, what guy? He's looking out the window and he doesn't see anybody. She's like, back there, the, he doesn't see a guy in a wheelchair anywhere. And um, she's like, I wonder if he needs help. And she pulls into a gas station and he says, well, did it look like he was like near his home? Like, was he just on the side, like getting to his home? Or She's like, it didn't look like that. And so the Holy Spirit was leading, and so they turn around and get on the road, and they start going back. And Glenn was expecting to find him, like, right there. And he's like, we kept driving and driving. I guess it took a little while for the Holy Spirit to work, maybe. And, but sure enough, uh, there he is. And he was in a wheelchair, and he was just shuffling along with his feet, kind of propelling the wheelchair forward. So he pulls up beside him, rolls down the window, and says, could my husband push you somewhere? Do you need to be pushed somewhere? And I think Glenn said to the window, or we could give you a ride. And the guy's like, either would be great. And so uh, they end up giving him a ride and putting him in their car. And their car already had a bunch of stuff in it, um, 
from one of their kids that was loaded in there. So they opened up the hatch, got his wheelchair in it, but they couldn't shut the hatch because of so much stuff. So the guy sat in the back seat and held onto his wheelchair so it wouldn't fall out of the car. And they found out he was going clear over to Chestnut. I mean, they were just like, this. they don't think he would have made it in a day where he was going clear across town like this. But they drove and offered to pray with him and talked with him and, and just uh, heard about his family, a little bit about him and and what was going on and found out he, there was some faith involved for him too. And when they got him to where he was going, he was so incredibly grateful, just saying, God bless you. You know, God bless you. And the lady that was there was going to get him to where he actually needed to go to stay. And I guess when I think about that story, I'm, as we prayed for him in our small group that night, um, I was thinking, you know, there probably was a number of us that maybe saw him, but I guess there were only two that loved him. Love isn't a thought. It's an action. Love's not a feeling. Compassion is what you do when the tears are dry. Christ's love is active. So the Good Samaritan, it says he took pity on him. It's a guttural response of compassion. The Samaritan took pity for this guy. It's a word that's not used anywhere else in Scripture except to describe how Jesus feels for people. We just can't overlook these people. We can't bypass these people. It's, there's something stirring inside of this man where God worked through him to love someone. And that's what God wants to do through you. And we see it in the big moments and we're filled with compassion. I mean, this week, I'm, I'm sure a lot of you saw the devastating earthquake that happened in Turkey. Death toll is now around 28, it's over 28,000, which is just mind boggling to me. In Turkey, in parts of Syria, this is part of the, the, the world where Paul was going through his missionary journeys and, and people were coming to faith as he headed through Turkey and into Syria. You know, yesterday we were hearing some reports of, of uh, parents, two daughters and a son that were pulled safely out of the rubble after five days the same outlet reported that a seven-year-old girl was pulled from the debris in the province of Hatta after almost 132 hours in the rubble. The United Nations chief said that they, it's the worst event in a hundred years in this region, but there's been over a hundred countries that have responded with help and aid and people. And when we see that, we're so grateful that people are there and they're on the ground and they're helping. I mean, these are people, these are people helping people who are different from them, different religions than them, different nationalities from them, different views from them. And compassion moves us to help people. That, that's what this extra mile mentality looks like that Jesus is talking about. But as much as we support it and, and as much as we long for it, even still, when we're talking about an earthquake in Turkey and we're praying for them and we want rescue and efforts to go to them, we want that. Somehow it's easier to want to see compassion get involved and get dirty and messy when we see it on our TV screens than when it gets up close and personal. And it's right in front of us and there's a mess here and a mess there and brokenness there and hurt there and wounds coming here. and It's hard to love the way Jesus would call us to love. For we would love people. We would love our enemy. We would love those who hate us. We would love those who persecute us. 
It's going to require a Christ-like love to do this. It's going to require you to act and practice in ways you never have before. When we were going through our sermon planning months ago, we were brainstorming about this series and laying it out, and we were talking even about this text from Luke chapter 10 for this particular sermon. And, and I remember Alan Tiger in our meeting, he just said, you know, we got some religious leaders here who had the knowledge of the law, that's orthodoxy, but they missed the opportunity to live it out, that's orthopraxy. Like, and that, that's the risk for all of us. We, we gain more knowledge, orthodoxy, but we don't have orthopraxy. We're not living it out or practicing, you're actually doing it. We like the idea of it, but we're not moved to compassion to live it out. But Jesus is calling us to do this today. Not just to know it all, or like the Levite, to do it all. He wants us to love people the way he loves them. To practice what Jesus practiced, to live how Jesus lived, to walk how Jesus walked, to do what he did. And we need his power to do it. And he wants to do that. He wants to start a revival right now in your heart, right here in your soul where you begin to experience the love of Jesus so you can love others well. You know, one of the things I was so excited about to read about this week, and you may or may not have heard of, about this, but uh, on February 8th, on Wednesday, Asbury University was doing a, a chapel service. The theme that day was confession and repentance. And the students came to that chapel, and at the conclusion of it, they were coming forward and confessing and repenting and started sharing their testimonies. And apparently the chapel service is still going. Like four days later, it's still going. Like a revival has broke out there. And kids have been coming and confessing, repenting, and, and giving their testimonies of what Jesus has done in their life and who they want to be in Him. And, and others have started to come and join. And through social media, word has been spreading. And parents of students have been coming. And others from other communities are coming to that chapel, to that university, and praying and asking God to do a revival. It's interesting that in 1970, this happened on that campus. And a revival swept through that place and started impacting other universities and places in our nation, which we're praying for that. We long for that. We want that. I mean, th th this is Jesus gaining ground in his kingdom when this happens. I mean, what does the Bible say? How do we defeat the evil one? How do we defeat Satan? Is it, is it by just complaining about what's going on around us? No. Revelation twelve eleven. We defeat him by the blood of the lamb by his sacrifice on the cross, we defeat the evil one. We're freed from our guilt. We're empowered for a new life. The blood of Jesus has victory. And so the blood of the lamb defeats the evil one. And the word of our testimony, what he's doing in our life, this is how we defeat him. And I just think it's pretty awesome. On a week that started with all the talk about the, the Grammys and whatever Satan song worshiping, whatever that was, I didn't even watch it. Whatever that was, we see how Satan actually gets defeated by the blood of the Lamb or the word of the testimony. It's happening right now at Asbury University as people become aligned with God's heart by repenting and confessing, which is what I want to invite you to do right now, to confess where you've not loved the way Jesus has called you to love, to repent and say, I'm going to commit to love people in the spirit of Christ with the word of Christ. And what I want to do right now is I just want to invite you uh, around this room. We're just going to have a time of prayer. 
So as these lights are dimmed right now, we're just going to have a time of prayer around this room. And you can go to your knees right now at your seat, or you, if you need to sit there, you can sit there. Um, but I want you just to use this opportunity right now in silent prayer, in meditation with the Lord, to just confess some things to Him. And to repent of some things. And to pray that He would, through the power of His Holy Spirit, allow you to have a compassionate love like He loves. I mean, this is Valentine's week, right? Valentine's Day is this week. God, help us to love the way you love. So I just want to invite you right now, if you're able, you can go to your knees. If not, you can just sit in your chair. But I want you to spend some time confessing and repenting and asking for the Holy Spirit to empower you to love like Jesus. To love your neighbor as yourself. To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love your enemy. To pray for those who persecute you. To do good to those who hate you. To love those who hate you. To bless those who curse you. Let's pray that we would begin to look like Jesus. And let's spend some time praying that right now. Jesus. Lord Jesus, I just confess to you. The Lord, so often I I don't want to be inconvenienced, not in this way. So much easier to lean into selfishness. Lord, I pray that we would have eyes like you have to love people the way you love them. Lord, for the one who's emotionally wrecked, physically ailing, the one who's relationally broken, the one who's hurting or wounded, struggling, the one where extra grace is required. I, I just pray, Holy Spirit, fill us with your power so we love like you love Jesus so we look like you we give the world a better picture of who you really are Jesus may we humble ourselves before you and confess these things to you and repent 
of our sin and invite you, Jesus, to work in us. That, Lord, as we experience your love, we will love others. Lord, I pray that we would bless and not curse. We would do good. Lord, give us the strength. Give us the ability. Give us the heart. Give us the mind of Christ. And we pray this today in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen. Well, this morning, I just want to invite you to stand to your feet at this time. We're going to sing a prayer to God. He's called us to bandage the broken. He's called us to to serve those that he's put around us. And I just want to pray that you would do that today. Look, you can respond today with the cards that are in the seat in front of you to begin a conversation with us or on the screen. If you're watching online, you can go to that side and that will begin a conversation with us. But if you're in the room right now and you want to make a decision to follow Jesus or you want to become a member of this church or you want to just pray with someone for something that you're going through or you just want to talk about something that God's laying on your heart, I'd love to do that right now. I'm going to be stepping out these side doors at Decision Point. We'll love to meet you there as we sing. But let's go. Let's love him well this week, church. Let's sing together. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.